Hello, boys and girls. My name is Robert Higgins. And I'm Kay Tuxford. And this is episode 87 of Screenwriting from the Trenches, a podcast about the craft and expression of screenwriting in all its forms from the perspective of writers just like you. This week, we're talking twists, plot twist, how, where, and why. To put but them you, in your screenplay. You sounded like an elementary school teacher, and then all of a sudden you're not. Yep, plot twist. I did not see that coming. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But before we get into all that, we usually talk about what screenwriting Twitter is a Twitter about, but in solidarity with the WGA, until this strike is over, we shall be referring to this segment as the strike corner. Take it away, Zach. And it's just another day in screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama, screenwriting drama. It's just another day in screenwriting drama. It's another day in screenwriting drama. And we're back. So this week, first on our list is HBO becomes Max and immediately fucks up. Immediately just screws the pooch. K-Tuxford, can, can you tell us how? Uh, I mean, uh, Max first of all, the pooch. there's there's two there's two ways. Okay. I mean, first of all, you took something as iconic as a brand as HBO, synonymous with premium television, and you got rid of the HBO, and it's now instead of it being HBO Max, it's just Max, where HBO is right or something right. like that. So it's pretty pretty bad rebranding, just name alone. Did it's we need long- that rebrand? Did we need it? Did, like, no, 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 but it's clearly like there's a new dog in town who had to like pee on the spot just to like win the pissing contest, right? And then on top of that, uh, the app required everybody have to re-download it. And the discovery quickly was that when it came to looking for like credits for a film, when you looked it up, everybody was lumped into one category. Creators. creators. Yeah, creators. Uh, and, you know, so you'd look up a Martin Scorsese film and he would, he would be like third on the list of creators that, made, yeah. you know, that they had made Richard Kelly as the, the fourth creator yeah. of Donnie Darko. The fourth. Yeah. The fourth creator. <laughs> Writer, yes, director, yeah. Richard Kelly was the fourth person credited as creator of Donnie Darko. Yeah. And it's. It's a it's a it's a real big sticking point in the unions, which is fun that it's kind of happening right now, because unions have worked very hard to make sure that the positions people are getting <clears throat> the bill the billing is an issue they they have argued and, and worked for for a very long time. WGA also works very hard on that because you know as you know sometimes in uh, studio films one person will get a pass and then another and another. So they've not only worked on like writers getting billings for work done, but also the order of the billings and all that good stuff. Well, not only that, but I learned this on script notes and this is going to come back in a few minutes, but I, I, I'm a big fan of script notes and they did a a thing. uh, They have a podcast on credits Mm -hmm. and they were talking about WGA credits and how we get credit. And one of the things that they have that the guild worked out is that if they list the director, they have to list the screenwriter in equally big font and 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 the, and usually the, the same font. So yeah. they say from the from the director of blah blah blah. They also have to say from the writer of blah blah blah. You know what I mean? They also they have to list them in in tandem. 
And you can, I, that was something I did not know. Like I had got the air poster recently and it says written by screenwriter Alex Convery. And then also, I mean, directed by Ben Affleck and they have this, the exact same font and the exact same color. And I didn't know that that was a thing, but that is apparently a, a, yeah. a writer's guild rule. Yeah. So, and, and, and it exists to, you know, everybody works really, really hard on these films mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's easy to, if, if there's not any order for somebody to go, oh, we're going to put this screenwriter really, really small, or we're not going to list him at all and imply that it was a writer director project or imply, you know, the writer doesn't matter or put, you know, maybe it's a producer, you know, we'll put the producer's name really, really big and the writer and the director teeny tiny. Right. or not put them at all so you know our brand will be associated with it so you know the guilds have worked really hard to establish some order the sfx community was like we could use we could use some of that if you look mm -hmm. at their billings it's just blocks of names and you have yes. no idea <laughs> you sometimes have no idea what those you know who did what yeah i could imagine that because i always like I, you know you can all sort of credits go in the same order and you can sort of clock where certain things are going to show up. Like if you see the song, when the songs get listed, you know, the credits are almost over. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah. you always, always imagine like those people who have worked on like those movies in the special effects department, like waiting to see their name in the credits and having to wait like three quarters of the way through the credits for that stuff to finally get listed in these giant blocks that just are almost, you're looking at them. They're just, it's just overload. You're just like, Oh my God. You're like, yeah. 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 And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, sometimes they're huge companies. Sometimes it's really visual effects heavy, or sometimes there's different divisions where there'll be like a Germany. So, so anyway, it's to create some sort of order. And also it's good for if you are interested in a film and interested in the creators of the film, you can look up and see, oh, who, who did what? You know, if you're like, oh, I really like the cinematography in that movie. You want to be able to look up who the cinematographer is, not the 12 main people who worked on it, right? Yeah. You won't know which one shot it, right? Yeah, Unless there's you know... no way to tell. And then a lot of people were... Unless of... you see Deacons on the list, and then you can be like, yeah, probably, you know, probably who him. shot it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. there were a lot of people who were trying to theorize that this was Max's way of devaluing human creators so that they could slide in credit for potential AI collaborators in the future where you devalue just another way for them to devalue human creators so that they could show that they could all just be lumped under one sort of credit and that would uh, and sort of psychologically sort of allow them to come in and be able to, you know, put in AI collaborators and things like that, and AI programs and list them alongside in the credits. And so people were like, are they trying to do some diabolical shit here? And there was a lot of questioning about that. I'm not necessarily sure about that, but I'm glad that what had happened was the Writers Guild and the Directors Guild came down like a fucking anvil. And between the two of them, they immediately told Max to change that shit. And Max blamed some unknown technical glitch and scurried off with its tail between its legs and vowed to fix it. So they have vowed to fix the credits. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, you know, there was some speculation on this, which was like, 
how could nobody you right. know, overseeing the development not be like, well, this is going to be weird or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, it took all of it, what, a few hours when Max was released for like it to be noticed wide across the app. So it's not like, it's not like, oh, it was just a few movies. Like that's how all of them were done. Yeah, so, it's too deliberate to be accidental. Yeah, so it's not, it's, it was always part of the plan in their layout. And the question is, is when somebody was like saying, yeah, this is a good, let's say, let's say there was no malicious intent. Somebody at one point said, this is a good layout. And somebody who is not familiar with the industry clearly was like, yeah, good, sign off on it, right? I don't know of any of the rules that we're supposed to follow, you know, for the guilds, et cetera, that we work with. So, so a bare minimum, there's somebody at the helm who is grossly unaware of how things work credit-wise, et cetera, et cetera, in our, in our industry. The, the max amum is that Whoa. potentially, I know, the potentially somebody said, somebody made these longer term plans. And I think, I think what it really comes down to it is I don't think anyone's sitting there going, yes, we're going to sneak in AI. We're going to sneak in AI, but I think there's definitely been a consistent devaluing of creators. Mm -hmm. Or it could have um, been like uh, the, the other people were saying that the, the other theory was that it was some sort of petty shot at the guilds because of <laughs> the the strike. And so there was a there was a lot of that as well. People were saying that it was just like a way for David Zaslav to be petty. And speaking of petty, there was a song that came out this week, Kate Tuxford. And oh, okay. Do you can you tell us what the name of that song that came out? Fuck you, David Zaslav. Yes, that that is indeed the song. It was it's a bop. Uh, I listened to the entire song. It was sung by Song a Day Man at Song a Day Man on on Twitter, and I will link to the song or the video in the show notes. And so, fuck you, David Zaslav. It, it, it as as of. As of this recording, it has been viewed over 30,000 times. Nice. Has 35 retweets, 21 quotes, 142 likes, and seven bookmarks. So hey. it's not yet a hit on the billboard, but I have hopes. So this guy, I guess his whole thing is he writes a song a day. And fuck you, David Zaslav is actually pretty good. I, I nice. enjoyed it. So if you you want to hear a funny song that's pretty apropos, fuck you, David Zaslav is 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 a bop. And if you are wondering why David Zaslav is the villain of of the writer's strike, just to fill you in, just in case you uh use us for all your news, which you should expand a little bit. No, they're fine. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're fine. fine. They're fine. Zaslav has really point, put himself at the center of these things, particularly was a commencement speaker at Boston University this weekend. Or he and got booed. He got booed. His speech was pretty poor. People were joking that AI must have written it. <laughs> but his the, the point is, is he was saying, you know, to get as far as I've come, you know, get, or, you know, or if you want to get far, you need to have, learn how to work with everybody. And so it's just, it kind of just basically shows how like weirdly out of touch this guy is. Yeah. Um, and then also through the, 
a quote this week. Some of my best writers are friends, but some of my best friends are writers, which is always which is always a bad tactic. So yeah, um, that, that's that uh, well, that's the uh, CEO version of I have a black black friend. Yeah, the, he threw a he threw the I have a black friend in there, and nobody the writers aren't taking it. You know, nobody is nobody's really terribly amused. But he, you know, other other CEOs and studio heads have kind of shut up in comparison and let him just keep going. Yeah, because so, it's easy to let that guy be the villain, so that the rest of them, you know, they're not like putting other people's names out there on front street he's just like that guy seems content to be the villain like they drew yeah. straws and that guy was like no i'll be the villain it's fine yeah and they're like you weren't we didn't even you didn't work it wasn't even your turn yet and he's yeah. like i want to do it yeah exactly he seems like he wants it i hope it's not his kink <laughs> he's just like and, i want to be the villain like, i want to be the villain speaking of someone who shouldn't be the villain but was the villain this week this didn't show up on screenwriting twitter but i wanted to mention this because mm. I like Burning Bridges. So I I was listening to, I'm a big listener of, of Script Notes podcast, as I said at the top of this segment. It is the, the screenwriting podcast as far as I'm concerned. But John August has been doing sidecasts about the strike since it started. And in sidecast number 12, which was about location picketing, John August gets a question from a listener who is making a non-union film with non-union actors and non-union crew. And this person got feedback from their AD that was like, hey, maybe we should hold off because of the strike. And this person was like, no, nah, I don't think that's a thing. But he sent the letter into John August to sort of get their get John August's take on it and was saying that because the movie is 100% non-union and wasn't taking money from studios or streamers and was and also mentioned in the letter that they plan to even when finished they plan to hold off on attempting to sell the movie to any struck companies until the strike was over and this person was just asking, hey, do you think that I'll get static from anyone in the guild? Should I do this? Should I not do this? And John August was like, yeah, you shouldn't do it. You should not do this. And for me, that I that's some real ivory tower shit. That's some, I, I don't hold to that because this person isn't breaking any rules. They haven't, they literally told John August, that they were standing with the Writers Guild, that the fact that they even asked is proof of that. But they were also said, hey, we're going to, even if we do this, we won't try to sell our movie until after the strike is over. So there's John August's thing where he was saying, we don't want to put anything in the pipeline for these struck companies or the studios or the streamers or whatever like that. We don't want to put anything in the pipeline. He wasn't. This person is not putting anything yeah. in the pipeline. They are literally just doing their thing. They're getting a movie off the ground. And Kate Tuxford, you can agree or disagree with me on this, but you know, you you and I both know how hard it is to put together a movie. And sometimes you got to put it together when you put it together. You can't, you know, on stuff for <clears throat> stuff like us, like if you put something on hold, you may not get a chance 
again. Like sometimes that 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 time just dries up, and then putting it back together after you know after it falls apart or after you postpone, sometimes it just doesn't come back together. And you gotta you gotta move when you move. Yeah, like, I I think um, I I you know this is not the only time we've encountered this. I know on screenwriting Twitter, Guy, your our favorite screenwriting mayor was yeah going the mayor to make of a screenwriting Twitter. Yeah, was going to make a short or proof of concept, and it's decided also to waylay it because it was it was advised, especially early on, not to make anything as 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 August said that would go into the pipeline. Right. But there's a good article by Movie Maker Magazine doing more further Q and A. And, you know, that one kind of says, like, as long as you're not making something that's going to go to the studios, then, you know, you should be good. And right. so it's kind of like contrasting information. What I've been telling my students, because my students at Chapman, you know, they have to make short films during the semester, you know, and, and you know, make content and they can't. They can't hold their short film production till, you know, till fall or spring. They may not be there anymore. They're also supposed to be, they're there to get an education. It is a, it is that, that important part, which is where is it going? Who's it for? Is it getting into a pipeline? And, you know, for, for a lot of the attitude I've been going with is you can make something, you can keep it to yourself, but you really can't give it to somebody who's again, going to have suddenly your material now for them not to negotiate with writers. It's kind of like if there was like a, if somebody, we had a, we had a food shortage, you know, like we're doing like a, a like, Hey, you know, we're, we're striking and we're not going to pick the apples for the big company anymore. And somebody else goes, well, I'm hungry. I'm going to make a sandwich over here. You know, and as long as you don't show up and start selling sandwiches so the apple strike doesn't mean much, you're good. And you may need that, you know, might, might need the sandwich because you're hungry or, you know, the, I see, especially as we go on, when we had the 2007, 2008 strike, a lot of people went and made little indie projects to keep themselves busy, right. to hire their friends to pay their friends because you know if there's no if there's no screenplays there's no you know there's less productions etc so on one side there's an opportunity to give your friends work that isn't going to feed the studio um while the strike is going on which is mutually beneficial so it would be hard for me to to just kind of lay that line down like john august for me i think it's just a really big question of making sure that you're making a sandwich just for yourself right right see i you that's a very diplomatic approach but for me i'm just kind of like all right I, if you don't want me to fuck your ex-girlfriend that's fine but don't ask me to suck your dick at the same time that's <laughs> that's how i feel about it that's also in a way very diplomatic thank you rob for that yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's you know like i I understand. No, I don't understand where John Ockus is coming from. This person is doing a non-union project and is not literally breaking zero rules and is and is managing to do that while standing in solidarity with the Writers Guild and potentially the Screen Actors Guild to, in order to do this film. So yeah. in, 
indie circumstances are not the same as these other studios things as the same as what our next thing is which is deadpool 3 started shooting and with you know in the middle of the strike you know here's where's john august's ire for that where's his call out of ryan reynolds where's that shit apparently they were saying that ryan reynolds is not allowed to ad-lib that the script is locked and they're not allowed he's not allowed to ad-lib on set in a deadpool movie in a Deadpool movie. I just wonder if some of the script is like Ryan says something funny here. You know, right, like, exactly. What what is the are you kidding me? So for me, I'm like, there that's some real ivory tower bullshit because you know nobody's nobody's condemning, you know, none of these people are condemning Ryan Reynolds because they're just like, oh well, you know, and Ryan Reynolds has millions and millions of dollars. Millions and millions of dollars. And and half a soccer team. Yes. Yeah. And a gin company. Yeah, he's fine. He's fine. And for, you know, like, do we need Deadpool 3 that badly? I'm going to argue that we don't. Yeah, gonna, and I think, oh. I think, uh, I think also strike-wise, it'll be interesting. I hope they're not, I mean, they're not filming in LA, I believe. Like, I know Beetlejuice is filming in the UK right now. Because mm -hmm. writers are going and shutting, shutting sets down. Like, <clears throat> They shut down and season Zari's project. They right. the, so now it's on like permanent hiatus. They shut down billions in New York. They shut down. They shut down uh, Deadpool. I'm mean, dead. Not Deadpool. They shut down um, a dead. What is it? Daredevil. They shut down Daredevil. Oh yeah, that's right. Daredevil. Yeah, they shut down Daredevil. And they, there's like strike captains have like a secret network right now where they're letting their kind of like closest. WGA folks know and these people are doing 3 a.m. shifts showing up on set locations before the trucks get there and picketing because the Teamsters don't cross picket lines. Right. So they're literally showing up to these sets to picket because the Teamsters aren't there yet and that means the equipment can't arrive. And so it'll be interesting because, you know, they want to go ahead with this right now and I would be surprised you know if they thought they could film this in LA or at a studio or something and get everybody inside so I'm curious to even know where they're filming this and the fact that Ryan Reynolds I think it's Canada it might be Canada it must be because but the, there's some Canadian WGA people who are very upset too so don't you know don't don't assume they won't they won't get there yeah but Brian Reynolds is a member of the WGA right and so for me it's kind of it was it was hypocritical. It was ivory tower BS. And I just feel like, you know, they like get over yourselves. And yeah, start... and I, I think I think the other thing is is we have this great counter argument that could come out of this if people do work on indie projects at this time, because it will be what if something post-strike, you know, when people can distribute it comes great out of it and you can argue that nobody needed the studio system to have this great piece right yep. it was <clears throat> the the writer and maybe the directors and the actors depending on how many people are striking you know uh you know came together and were able to create and the studios you know with their ai couldn't make it so i feel like I, I don't want that not to be an option. And maybe it's just because, again, in like 2007, 2008, we had two really great pieces of of writing that came out, yeah. which is Felicia the Guild did. And, and Dr. Harbaugh's sing-along blog. Yeah, they, so two web series sprung out from it. It was Joss Whedon and his brothers made Dr. Horrible sing-along blog, which 
you know, they basically had a bunch of time because of the strike and had this fanciful idea and made this like pretty epic web series musical. Dr. Horrible Sing Along Vlog, I still sing the soundtrack. I absolutely adore it. It's you know, Patrick fantastic. Harris is one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite things of all time. I yeah. really enjoy it. And I and and I <laughs> and the guild made me fall in love with Felicia Day. So yes. yeah, and right. it's it and then so like we have these two great pieces that like launched careers that like uh the guild then uh, you know got picked up and did five seasons, you know. Felicia Day was in both, by the way. Yeah, she was in both. Yeah. yeah. She can sing and do comedy and She's make so World great. of Warcraft. Yeah, it's like uh, listeners, if you can, if you know Felicia Day, or if you can tweet at Felicia Day, we would love to get Felicia Day on this podcast. Just, just so we can just fawn over her for like an hour and yeah. just talk about how great she is. Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe make it happen, that just internet. that might make her uncomfortable, but I'm fine with us being overly like, like yeah, you. yeah, we love yeah. you so much. All right, so. Topic of the week. Yes. Plot twists. Plot twists. Plot twists. twists. Why do we Uh, do plot twists, Kate Tusford? Why do we do them? Well, I think the audience likes to be bamboozled. We like to be deceived. Yes. I think I think that that, that's the end of it is we think we we enjoy when we watch something and we think we know what's happening and then ha surprise, we don't know. Right. Just like a great joke, you know, and a plot twist, it's just, there's something that, because audiences right now, I think are the most movie literate that yes. they've ever been. They have, because it's not just about things that they've seen, it's about how we parody things. Because we're constantly parody, parodying things on YouTube and TikTok and Instagram, and when you have these, you know, what's the, you know, sort of like this 90 second setup payoff joke, you know, like a lot of that is based off of the literacy of what things are out there. And so you have audiences that have these expectations that are just burned into their brain of what Mm. this kind of story entails, what this is like. And so when you give people that, sometimes you have to give them what they want. And sometimes they don't want what you're supposed to give them. They want you to do the exact opposite. They want you to do, they want you to go in a different direction. And so plot twists, you know, like that, when you give someone a good plot twist, man, people eat that shit up. They love it because they're like, oh, I did not expect that. Yeah, I'm making I- wrinkles in my brain. It, it 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 makes a, a lean in mm-hmm. where you know we're suddenly because I think sometimes where movies get a little predictable you know and you kind of if if you're very savvy you lull people into that comfort where they're like mm-hmm. oh I know what this is I know where it goes and then you can go Whoosh, that's not it you know which which is always not nice if you're people are like oh it's a rom com it's about now, these two people are going to meet and fall in love. Whoosh, it's not the case. She accidentally, you know, they accidentally get kidnapped by a monster uh, underneath the basement and trapped. And the movie's going to focus the next guy who goes into the rental house. Boom. You know, that is barbarian, by the way. Yeah, uh, there's, you know, because rom-coms are full of cliches, you know. It's, it's, it's a very simple formula. You know, quote unquote, person meets, you know, used to be boy meets girl, boy gets girl. Boy loses girl, boy gets girl back, you know, and now it's person meets person, 
person gets person, person loses person, person gets person back. Yeah. Or, you know, and it's just, we know the formula. We know what it is. So when we, and especially in terms of rom-coms, those things are heavily formulaic. And so when things just, you got to find a way to ease into those things. Same thing with horror movies. You know, it's like one victim, two victim, then everybody starts talking. And then it's like, okay, now we're, then they just killed the victim until there's one, the, literally the final girl left. It's, they're yeah. literally called the final girl. Like yeah. all of these cliches are just piled on top of each other. And so it's some, you have to go left in order to, you know, to like subvert the audience expectations. However, however, there are times when you have to read the room. Sometimes people want exactly what they're supposed to get. I was watching Zizu recently. And while I didn't, I wasn't the biggest fan of it. When I look at, what people are saying about it online, about how it's just what you expected it to be. It's just a really tough guy killing Nazis for an hour and a half. People just wanted that. I yeah. seem to be the only person who was just like, could I have, could I have gotten more? Could I, have, could I have something else? You know what I mean? Could, could this burger have like some lettuce on it or something? People are like, no, you just get the cheeseburger. This cheeseburger is just a cheeseburger. And I'm just like, what about some lettuce? Can I get some? They're like, no lettuce. We don't have any lettuce. You can't put green shit on our meat. It's just fucking meat and bread, motherfucker. Like, that's what cheese. you're getting. Like, yeah. that's what. Fucking, if you don't want a cheeseburger, don't order the yeah, cheeseburger. Get yeah. the fuck out. Like, I feel like I was in the wrong for going to see the movie and feel like I should have had my expectations subverted. No, you go to see Nazis getting blown up. That's what we fucking did. That's what we did. That's, you know, the whole point. So, you know, there's certain times where people just, they don't want anything but the cheeseburger. They don't, they don't want twists in their movie. There's been a few times where I've heard things where people are just like, why didn't they do something? Why did they try to make this fancy? Why did they try to, man, they don't want it. But at the same time, there are some really great, some examples of doing the opposite where you just like. I'm going to say, I think in, in the land of movies that have really like broken out and become a hit mm -hmm. we have a lot here that have that subverted themes or a surprise twist in there like parasite was the one that kind of came to mind the first time we talked about this and parasite's been out for a couple of years so if we reveal the twist i'm sorry Parasite also has a twist very similar to Barbarian, which is they find a basement below the basement. And that's the midpoint of the movie is realizing that like, oh no, and there's something down there. We didn't know that that's what this movie was going to, we didn't know it was going to go to the basement. And so like something like that or Hereditary where, you know, sometimes those twists are like, you know, mid That headshot is, is haunting. It is because oh. it is like a setup and then you're like, then you then you get it. It's just like this one shot. And you're like, oh my god! It's, it will haunt your dreams. It, it will, will haunt your fucking dreams. I rewatched that sequence not because I wanted to, no. but before that, when they're driving to the party, they have this long shot on that pole mm -hmm. as they pass by it. And I was like, oh my god, they planted it. They knew that's where she was gonna get decapitated. Oh, I think the one you sick fuck. Yeah, yeah. I think the one that comes up for me is. I see dead people. And yeah. that that to me is the best one because it's a great setup because walking around like regular people and they don't you know. You mean the sixth sense? Yeah, the sixth sense. Yes. 
And you it's called like, it I, I see dead people. You just well, you yeah. I was just in terms of like the dialogue where oh, the yeah, dialogue yeah. comes in, and, and Haley Joe Osmond is saying, walking around like regular people, they don't know they're dead, and you're just like, oh man. And he's like, this kid is fucked up. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he doesn't know. And then at the end, when you when they they tell you about it, they tell you to your face. And then at the end, they still get fucking away with it. You're like, oh man, oh he's oh he was oh mother oh he's oh Bruce Willis. You just yeah. you know what I mean? You set it up and then just like the kid, the kid literally told him, like, Yep. Yep. He basically said, You're a ghost, dude. You're a ghost. And and then in a case, it's like, hmm, interesting therapy. I must fix this because I have unfinished business. <laughs> it does, it, and it also sort of explains like the way that their relationship is, the way that the kid feels. So and there are certain times where it feels like, like there's this one scene where Haley Joe Osment is dealing with a teacher, and then he turns and sighs, and then looks at Bruce Willis, and you're thinking just like, well, he's like sick of his court appointed therapist or whatever like that but what he's really is like man this fucking ghost just will not <laughs> right? leave me alone you know what i mean yeah and keeps like trying to be my fucking therapist he's a goddamn ghost <laughs> you know like he's you know like it's one it's just it's great subtext it's like there there are all sorts of moments like that at the end mm -hmm. i mean and then when you like you realize when you go through the movie in your head at the end you're like oh my god there's so many moments I should I should have just got it in, but yeah, just set it up and then subvert that payoff, man. Just woo, people love that. People love that shit. The, that, know, sh that shit is great. It, and it is great. I would. I'm gonna argue, not argue, but sometimes when I think people they sit down and they're like, I want to write a story with a really cool twist, right? Right. right sometimes right. that's really hard to do in like one draft right mm -hmm. because you you know you're still like uh if you read an early copy i have an early copy of the sixth sense it was published in like scenario magazine and there's no twist bruce willis is not a ghost wow um, he's just a therapist uh assigned to the Haley joe osmond and they they reveal early on he's he says like i see i see dead people right mm -hmm. and so they don't really wait on some of those things we're now i think in the final form it's like by the midpoint right he finally right. kind of says what's going on <clears throat> but a lot of the elements were already there like we understood what some of the problem was we understood the problems he was having talking to his mother um the therapist even though he wasn't a dead therapist was still haunted and trying to fix this because he felt like it would redeem him you know so the, the elements that, that that were important to the story were definitely there in an early draft and i think sometimes once you get a draft like really polished and you're like ah this is the story the twist or the option for a twist becomes more evident to you because you know what you you know where you want to subvert the audience right and i think there's like there's a there, I, I had this happen to me all the time because I was thinking, like, there's nothing that I hate more in a rom com. Speaking of rom coms, yeah. when you're watching and you can literally, and people hate me for doing this. My wife hates me for doing this because I do it all the time. Where I just start, I start reciting the dialogue before, yeah. like, I, like I've never seen the movie before, but I start speaking the dialogue for the characters because I know what's going to come out of their mouths because I know what's happening because I already yeah. know. 
because you know what I mean? It's and a rom-com. Like, yeah, it's, it's, a, pretty... it's a rom-com. But then it's so predictable that you can literally predict the dialogue that's coming out of their mouth. But there's their point where people just follow the tropes and they just, if it gets to that point, like there are certain things where I don't know how that got passed. Like, you know, they're obviously the, you know, either somebody liked it or whatever, or you, we don't know how that ended up in the movie. But the thing about it is in terms of gatekeepers and things like that, those kinds of really tropey, just overly done things will get your screenplay tossed so fast. And so and there are points where you just have to just like, all right, I got to go left. I got to do, I got to do something different. I got to write my characters into a, into a corner and just go with that and deal with the consequences. There are certain times where I, I think that I, that I love the most, where I'm just like, where characters will get into a situation. I'm like, okay, well, they're going to cut to the next day or they're going to, oh, wait, they're staying in it. Okay, we're already then. We're going to deal with this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or something where some some sort of trope where somebody would skip over something or not deal with something, and instead they're forced the characters to deal with the reality of the of the actual reality of the situation. There's nothing that I love more than that because it yeah. subverts the expectation. It goes, it just goes left and stays left. Sometimes you have to do that. Like it's just one of those things where you're just like, I there's a there's a there's a really like stereotypical way to do this scene. Or I can just completely go in a different direction or send the character out of the room or have somebody burst in or the house blows up or something like it. And in those cases, sometimes you have to go back and then, and then figure out how you got that there later. I think the most famous example of this is the Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight has that wonderful left moment, like right at the midpoint where you're like, oh, oh. And then they literally spend the next like, 15 minutes like going this is how we got there you know what I mean but it's been like set up some payoffs all, but it just goes left and then continues yeah. to go left for the, yeah. like it's so great and sometimes you like Quentin Tarantino is the master of doing of both going left and doing what I like to call jumping out of the movie yeah because to me he's done that at least twice where he just jumps out of the movie and now it's a different movie that's it's a different kind of twist and it's not easy to pull off when you can just jump out of a movie but death proof does this and from dusk till dawn does this just jumps out of the movie and just becomes a different movie like you're like i it's okay this is wow you know what i mean like you can just it's just we just hit eject and then we're in a completely different movie that's a it's a hard it's a hard thing to pull off uh, yeah, Barbarian I was say, I also think, does this as well. which just jumps out of the movie. Yeah, where... and I think I think I think it worked well in like a horror thriller thing because mm -hmm. uh, number one, it does give us information of like, oh, that's what happens when you stay at that house and go in that basement. So now you have right. the anticipation for person number two, uh, which is very similar to like Death Proof, right? We get to mm -hmm. see the first car crash and then the second, you know, we're like, oh, I hope things happen differently. Right, and they do. I was thinking of Tarantino the other day. I was driving in a car and somebody was driving their car ahead of me, but they somehow managed. The driver had a leg out the window. Oh, like, no, no. Yeah. yeah. I and I was think, like, oh, I was like, I was like, like, who, first of all, I was, and I just thought of death proof, mm -hmm. but also like they were driving. So like, are they like, 
What if you need a head to break? Anyway, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I can't, apparently it wasn't. I, guess, I don't know. Yeah. But I was like, that's how Tarantino's probably all his like girlfriends drive from like just like that. Anyway, yeah, I agree with you. And I think sometimes if if it's to kind of set us up or build up the anticipation, that's good. Uh, Drive My Car is also like that, where they have basically a 30-minute short film about a guy. Yeah, it's basically a 30-minute short film about a guy who realizes his wife's cheating on him, but he loves her and he's going to try to figure it out. And then she dies in a car accident and Drive My Car is about him being a lonely widow. But like the the opening about him being concerned about his wife and the cheating and the whatnot gives you a whole shit ton of context, right? Mm-hmm. That, you know, if he was just a moody, broody, John Wick, sad type whose wife is dead, you wouldn't understand how complicated that relationship was before it kind of just ended. And yeah, so Glass Onion also did this recently where they just jumped out of the movie. Yeah. Where like immediately you're like, whoa. And it, it like I said, if the audience can rebel. They can yeah. absolutely rebel. You yeah, can't just say- necessarily pull that one off like really. It takes a. It takes like your narrative structure has got to be there because you got to immediately right. like, like grab the audience and then like like let them know that they're in good hands. Because if you do it wrong, then people are like, "No, I don't want to do it. I can't do it." Like, yeah, I can't. yeah. Where especially especially glass onion and where you like reel it back and change perspectives and suddenly mm-hmm. we're following Janelle Monet playing the twin of, <laughs> you know, et cetera, et cetera, and find out all this extra information that we didn't have and what we watched before. Right. It's a big leap because I've seen people try to take, I've seen movies where they try to take that big left turn and it doesn't work. Like I felt this way about, maybe this is just me, but I felt this way about Hancock. I don't know if you remember yeah. that one, the Will Smith. Perfect example. Jump right out of the movie and never got it back. And never got like, back. And, and and the reason is, it's like the, they were sold this movie as here's a story about a, a alcoholic superhero who, you know, fucks up all the time. And 100%. all of us were like, I want to see an alcoholic superhero. Yeah, like, especially drunk, about Yeah, I want to see him drunk drive through the yep. sky, you know. Yeah, yes, that was what I want to see it. And then, you know, it turns into this, you know, you, you want the movie. That's This is a perfect example of what we were talking about before of reading the room. Like, we already got the movie that we wanted. Then they yeah, add we, this Charlize... Yeah, you promised us punching Nazis and we were there. Right, exactly. This is... Then Charlize Theron comes in and you're like, what is this? I don't understand what this is. I don't understand what this is. Then it jumps out of the movie and becomes this thing like, now they're fighting in the middle of the street. You're like, where did... This movie just jumped out of the window and I don't know what's happening anymore. Why? Why is this? It is completely off the rails. No and one think- knows what's going on anymore. And I think I think the thing, maybe the, the reason why one of these is more successful than the other is at the end of the day, I want it st- oh, like when Charlie Stone shows up in that movie and it's just like, oh, we've been, you know, right. lovers and, you know, the we're cursed. Essentially, the closer we get, the more our powers are like not good. I can't even remember what it is. And you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we've been staying away from each other all this time. Well, he had amnesia and then she That's just right. left him he where he was. Yeah, exactly. And so she told him. And so he was like, oh. But the problem is, is like the original concept was way more interesting than mm-hmm. you're, a, you're a superhero with amnesia with Charlize Theron is like your love of your life that you can't be near. Like it wasn't like... It, it was a complete, you didn't sell us on, oh, I want to see where this goes. I kept thinking, 
but I want to go back and watch him. Yeah, I wanted to go back to the first movie. Can we go back to the movie that we were watching before? That was much better than this. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think, I think that's part of the how you can get away with a big go left thing is your whatever you go left with has to be more interest as interesting or more interesting than what you were already doing yeah there's like exactly and it has to feel earned too like it has to like there's a like the thing about it is like the the way that glass onion earns that like literal like almost hour of exposition where they take you back through the entire movie like the way that they earn is they keep putting things in perspective and you follow a character that you really like and really are compelled to, she has like a compelling reason to do what she's doing. And it just becomes, Ooh, I missed all of this. Like this was happening in the background and it gives new context to everything. And so this movie like earned it. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to jump out of the movie, what we're watching. And then I'm going to, I'm going to, and you're going to, I'm going to, you're going to thank me. You're going to thank me. And then when when she's running up the stairs to get the thing, you're like, oh, yes. Oh, like you're so excited. Like Glass Onion really just nails that shit. There's that moment where from Dust of Dawn, I think it's the one of the, the best. When they start turning into vampires, you're like, wait, what? Whoa. whoa. Like, <laughs> whoa, <laughs> vampires. Like, what is happening right now? But then it immediately goes for it. They're like, no, we're going to make a fucking badass movie about, you know, like, fucking Tom Savini sex machine is like shoot people and then there's this like they were like whoa this is completely batshit nuts all right okay all right this might be better than like you said this is better than the other movie that we were in like we I was here for the crime movie but I didn't know where that was going I didn't know how long that could last but now we're in this movie in the vampire movie and now it's like okay we're just gonna go for it yes Let's let's just go for that. So like you got to be like it's got to feel earned and it's got to feel we got to like the new movie better than we like the old movie. Yeah, like, it's just one of those things. But like I have to say that when you do this properly, like we talk about these things with great excitement. I'm sure you can hear it in our voices, especially something like the Sixth Sense. I see Dead People is literally iconic, yeah. and that these kind of twists of, of something like a, a Get Out or even Us. The twist of us, that just this stuff becomes completely iconic, and it sets you apart from other things that people have done. People talk about these these twists with reverence. The twist from the mist is still heavily debated this day. That the very very twist. end twist, that one. Yes, yes, that is devastating. Okay, oh. and I think I think that's the thing is like when done well, it becomes mm-hmm. one of your most memorable parts of your story. Yep, uh, because everyone goes, ah, I was bamboozled. I didn't know that was going to happen. Right. I felt yeah. that way about Parasite when like the pantry opened up and there was a door to the basement, and I we've been seeing that pantry and they've been making comments about like the housekeeper eats like enough for two people, and then all of a sudden there's a basement and you're like holy fuck what's going on down there why is the housekeeper going down there and it's it's it does you lean in and you go i didn't even i didn't even think about it but they've been sprinkling this around they they knew where they were going the whole time but i didn't know and it it does it does create that like sense of wonder and it literally can 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 for those of us out there who are writing spec scripts and you know who are trying to get noticed uh, and the noise of like all of our screenwriting brethren, the right twists can can 
can get your script noticed and get you out there and, and put you above like you know because people are this there's, there's one there's the only thing that you want is for someone like you gotta fucking read this script you gotta read this script because that's literally how barbarian got made where yeah. someone sent the with the guy the 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 writer director sent that to the production company and they got investors on by saying you have to fucking read this script like that's that and that's what's going to get your movie out there that's what's going to rise you above the rest is having that that twist those iconic things the where someone just is makes is not only leaning in but it's like oh that's very interesting and just you gotta you gotta have it like then yeah. you don't need to but that that'll elevate you more than i think anything else everybody yeah, loves a good twist even if you don't have a giant genre bending twist, I think you can still put a good dramatic twist in almost anything. Mm -hmm. You know, even if it's something like, oh, we've been worried about this character, this ominous presence of a character. Oh no, what are they going to be like? They're going to be so bad. And then twist, we meet them and like, oh, this character is great. The person who's, you've been shitting on them, you know, is really the bad guy. I mean, right. like you can do a twist like oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the there's nothing better than than the than the uh, the Kevin Spacey just a foot turn twist where he's like immediately the whole demeanor yeah. changes and you're like oh shit yeah he's oh, not oh my god he's not, his foot's not lame what oh my god like uh, you know and that's so just, good that's Kevin just Spacey a lot. has two of those because he has that and then it's what's in the box yeah what's in the box and you just you're watching Brad and you're like come on man that's another one where people talk about it be like what would you do you know what i mean just the one of the best endings of all time so, yeah oh my yeah God. and and i think i think also like that seven even though what's in the box is a good twist it doesn't bend the genre right nope. like a dust till dawn but it is such a it's such a extreme maneuver right mm -hmm. such a that great like, no one is know. expecting it yep. you know another good twist that it really is kind of like a glass onion it is also gone girl where halfway oh. through oh, halfway yeah. through and i read the book that midpoint, and in the book, that midpoint man yeah <laughs> oh i read the shit. book and the book the book is formatted the exact same way the first half is more nick's story and then amy shows up and it's just like i need to tell you why i hate everything that i hate right now right and, and her diatribe in there which wound up in in the movie is just so pitch perfect great i'm like oh my god like i wasn't interested in her as like doting mother or this missing lady but all of a sudden now i'm like you yeah, fucking like, deviant i'm in what, what are we doing yeah. oh my god yeah that yeah you, the character of amy dunn is so is so great both you're right both in fiction form and like a cinematic form but that moment where he finds that fucking like shed full of all the crap where you're just like no she fucked him oh she fucked him oh my god he's so fucked like, you know, that just that moment where you're just like, oh, your heart just breaks because you're like, he hasn't done it. He didn't do it. Oh, she fucked him. He's so, you're like, how is he going to get out of this, man? You're just like that, that, that twist. Woo. And it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't take you out of the movie, I don't think. Kind of. Like where it goes, like, it goes a, a little bit and follows her story. But it, I think it's just, it's such a great setup. Well, I think I think I'm going to be honest. Is I think once you see the the props and everything, suddenly you're like, "Who the fuck would right. do all this?" And she's like, "Me, I would do this." Let me tell you. So she answers. Right. The moment you're curious, she pops in 
and takes over and says, I'm, I, I am the master of my mind behind it all. Let me tell you why I did this. And you were ready to hear it. Yeah. yeah even so if, good. even if it's probably like, probably is a terrible thing to do to another person. It's very compelling. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to what are we watching, consuming, writing. I watched Set It Up, speaking of rom-coms, on Netflix. Very enjoyable, but kind of predictable. Didn't really, not a lot of twists in that. But it was, it was as a rom-com, it was very enjoyable. I liked the characters. It was funny. It was well-written. The dialogue's great. And this is one of those things where it, I didn't really need it to be very different. I just, I needed it to stick to its prom- premise and, and be good. So speaking of things that are not, that don't have to be like something, you know, with twisty. I also finished the first draft of my script, Sex Like Pizza, which I've already started shooting because I'm awesome. You should always start shooting a script before you finish the first draft. I feel like that that that's good, right? And you're doing this much like the person who messaged uh, John August, which is you're filming this non-union everything and you will not be this project will probably go on your youtube channel right yeah it is it's all part of the how to make a movie for a thousand dollar thing so i was already working on it but i'm <laughs> i'm not trying to sell the movie destruct companies so i will be finishing my movie i will not be i will not stop shooting my movie because right. i you know i got things to do okay. and i also this week dove face first into the fourth book into the John Dies at the End series. Oh, this uh, is David Wong, right? Yeah, David well, Wong. Just, well, that's uh, not his real name, but well, it's Jason Pargan, I think is his is yeah. his real name. Yeah. And the book is called If You're Reading This, You're in the Wrong Universe. Nice. I love the John Dies at the End series. I really wish that someone would adapt these for, for TV for Netflix or something. Like I swear to God. They well, made the it. first movie. Yeah, but it wasn't weird enough because it, <laughs> the book series is so fucking weird. It, yeah, it's, I've only read the first two because I definitely read this book is full of spiders. Don't yeah, this it. book is yeah. full of spiders. Seriously, don't touch it. That's the full title of the second book. The third title, the third book is what the hell did I just read? And uh, yeah, so I, I I'm a huge fan of all four of these books. Every time one of them comes out, I'm like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to enjoy this so much. I really enjoy Jason Pargan's writing. And I just, I've also read his other book series, like something superpowers and fancy suits or something. And then the other one is Zoe Punches the Future in the Dick. There's two (laughs) books in that series. There's, it's really great. Uh, He's a really great writer and I recommend all of his books. So yeah, I did that. So yeah, I, I could see it as a TV series. I, yeah, I mean, it's really great. I, I, you know, after Altered Carbon, I don't trust Netflix. I'm like, don't you don't know how to make something weird enough? Um, yeah, I felt like that about Lock and Key. Like that that series was a little too weird for Netflix. And then when they tried to bring it in, they just tried to tame it. And it's like the comic Lock and Key is much better than the TV series Lock and Key. Yeah, it's so much better. It just it's not even close. So I'm sorry, you said, what am I, what am I doing? What are you uh, doing? I saw, I saw the Wanda Sykes Netflix special last night, which was great because she makes some fun comments about drag queens killing children with books to kind of show that maybe none of those things are what's killing kids in school. Surprise, surprise. So I thought surprise. it was fun. 
It went down. It went down smooth. Yellow Jackets had a new episode this week. So I'm up to date with that. And then the big news of the week is I finished my Owl Woman script to the point where it went out to everybody, including one Mr. Rob Higgins. My wife read it and liked it, which is very exciting to me because she was the original inspiration for this one. She was, oh my. She, um, yeah, well, she she um, uh, she studies anthropology. She just got her associates and that is going on to get her BA. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's really into she's Tongva and and local Indian tribes here in SoCal, which her family descended from. So part of it is there are some uh, folklore and things like that. So this is using some SoCal folklore. I think sometimes in LA we forget that we have our own like weird folklore or stuff too um, and so it was nice to use something a little local so i had a lot of fun with that and so she, yeah she's the reason the idea happened to get to begin with so it felt it felt it felt like the most pressure i had to was make her happy and then uh, you you know this i've seen uh wagner's roost is for your wife as well uh we're doing a script swap right now so i'm reading your horror you're reading my horror yeah it's all horror and then yeah i'm doing another horror i am doing the after this the micro budget for Feed Fifi I've been talking about. It's basically almost done with the outline phase. And then I'm going to write. I'm going to write like the wind. Write like the wind, K-Tux Bird. Yeah. This week's resource... Well, our, use, our resources usually feel like homework, but this week is, is just pure internet waste timery. Watch Mojo has a list of the 20 best movie plot twists of the 21st century so far. Ooh. And... It's a fun way to see all of the things that we've talked about on this podcast put to get use in movies that you have and haven't seen. Spoiler alert, obviously. And of course, you're welcome, Internet. <laughs> that is our show. Screenwriting from the Trenches can currently be found on Amazon, Anchor, Apple, Google, and iHeartRadio and Spotify podcast, as well as KevinLMartin.com. Our scre- screenwriting Twitter drama theme song was written by Zach Morrison and used with his permission. And hey, since, you know, we're, well, we're not a new podcast anymore, we'd appreciate it if you dropped us a like or rated us five stars on whatever platform that you patronize because algorithms for questions for us that we can and we'll answer in the show please email me at robertbmofo.net you can also find us on twitter i am at the spectacle mofo i am at k underscore tux zach is at zach morrison 18 and these things as well as my youtube channel where the cinema challenge series for which i just finished the script for the movie that we were shooting where we show you how to make a movie for a thousand dollars is finally on its feet and you can find that and everything else linked in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you will continue to do so. Now, stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves.